And as you guys enter the chamber, your party spreading out to try to avoid the shoots of steaming water spraying out from random geysers. With the initiative of 21, Wizard, you're up first. What do you do? Don't worry, Chomza. I got this. Leroy Jenkins. And he's down. I'm Austin. I'm Mo. And today we talk about party roles in this episode of Dungeons and Brews. Welcome back to Dungeons and Brews, everyone. As always, I am Austin and Mo. It is so great to be back here with you. Good to be back. We are recording now in the month of December here. We just got away with our, got away, but yes, we did get away with our lovely, uh, what is it called again? Our giveaways last month. We had a great time. Uh, we've started partnering up now with some of our soon-to-be, uh, and I'm pretty sure I was corrected at the end of the last episode, Glory to Alaman, Secret of the Rocky Road. Is that what it was? Yes, Close. gem of the rocket. John, yeah, whatever. It's, yes. I leave it to him. Yes, he's the gem. brains. I'm the uh, I'm the beauty. Yeah, we have started uh, slowly getting some stuff together. I know you guys have a players chat. I think that you guys have started up. We are working on creating it. Yes. Yeah. So we also and... are debating about how many uh, how many healing things are we gonna need because he's gonna kill us real quick, everybody. <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. It's gonna be a fun time. But uh, you know, I know as always, we usually start out. Um, with a brew to review. However, we're going to mix it up a little bit today. This is Dungeons and Brews, everyone. We cover not just the brews, but we cover the classiness too. Today, my dear brewmaster Austin, I want you to check that out. I got you a little bit of some Four Roses whiskey. Ooh. It is a single malt whiskey. Very good. A personal favorite of mine. Goes great within every single old fashioned that I will tend to take though. I tend to bounce around little makers here and there, mm -hmm. but please, I insist, so, since we don't have our one, two, three, how about we just, uh, you know, one, two, three. That's, that's good. That's, that's really whiskey. That oh is my really God, that's whiskey, whiskey without any ice too. Oh my God. <laughs> Mo, Mo does not like drinking it neat. Not really. It's always like one or two cubes, or I get, I love those uh, uh those ice uh the, the whiskey metal, uh, the little metal cubes. Yeah, like there's those, yeah. yeah, there's some that come in like a cube format, or even like the circular one. I have a circular one up top that's just like love one it. solid cube. Yeah, it's delicious. It's always it's always a great thing. And, and you so, never do more than really two good. fingers I'm, of whiskey. I'm yeah. a fan. Um, I did before we hop into our character roles. Topic, yes. Um, I did want to address a not necessarily a brand new episode, but a comment that we had on a prior episode. Um, it actually came from a, a former player of mine, um, it, and I will go by Discord names just in case because I did not ask their permission to say actual names. So Major Holy Blood, I know you're listening out there, but um, he had a question for us on top of our character death episode oh. because I, I noticed, especially when I went back and listened to the episode, we focused a lot on in combat death and not so much on travel social death like where there is like you're on the side of a mountain like in lord of the rings and they fall and someone falls off to their death like yep. how do you deal with that lethal velocity yeah and how <laughs> when do you, do you hit it <laughs> and how do you feel and how do you like make sure that the character's death to the player it still matters and i i really liked that question because i think it actually does go to a portion of DMing that you don't really learn about it through the DMG. It's something that we don't really, we, and you're right. We did not discuss really just, you know, falling off a cliff. And if you're a big fan of campaign one of critical role, there's the infamous Keyleth diving off the cliff, right. turning into a goldfish right. and then taking 300 plus damage, right. you know, but there's, there's a lot of those scenarios. Those scenarios, if you ask me happen more, even more so than even a combat based yeah. stuff. All right. There's a lot of times where, you know, a player makes a decision. Well, they got to live with the consequences right. of that decision if it ends up being that type of specific based decision. So, yeah, I think I think when it when it comes to looking at it, you have to have give it significance. It can't be death for the sake of death. Right. Like I'm going to kill this guy. Here's an anvil. You're dead. Right. It's OK. Make them make a constitution saving throw. Make them, you know, uh, build up the intensity. Say, oh, yeah cool, let's give you a roll here or a dex check and it's slowly getting to you. Other players, 
you guys start hearing screams. Can you get there in time? Yeah. Let's roll initiative. And you could do a literally a non combat yeah. kind of based initiative where can they make it in time to save him? Does someone have, you know, you know, a, is every one of your healing based items a touch? Uh, if it is, oh crap, healing word. Maybe you don't have it. Maybe you don't have the 30 foot range. So yeah. there's I just think, ideas. And I think for me, more so onto the, I think what he was kind of getting at is how do you make it narratively satisfying still yeah. for that to happen? And I think the big thing, and it, it kind of goes a little bit to what we talked about during our actual episode on character death, but giving that character a moment. So yeah, you may not be able to have that moment in front of the rest of the party, like with the death I mentioned of my sister's character with the bow, the Baylor and all that stuff. Like you may not be able to have that. Yeah. But what you can do is be like, is while the you know the party is like probably you know yelling after you while you're falling, like say the cliff example, right? You're falling a thousand feet down off this mountain, and you're like, as you know, the wind rushes by your ears, drowning out the cries of your party. It's not fear that finds you but a sense of remembrance. And then you kind of take them through memories, flashbacks with their, flashbacks with their character, yeah. and you give them some sort of like, and as you, you can almost as the extra like sense about you knows that the impact is, is coming. Is there anything even j to just yourself, a final word? And so while none of the characters will know that your player gets that moment to still have their time sent off. Yeah. And, I, I like what the, the person that wrote in my former player, he was like, for play, deaths like that, I usually let the player have a lot of leeway in how, what, why happens. Like, you know, do they, you know, fall impact into the earth? Do they like hit in the water, drown? Like, do you know what, how the death actually occurs? But I think giving them that narrative moment is important. Do you tend to like, uh, like give them an opportunity for an out as a, D, a DM? Like a possibility I, to get them maybe like, okay, I usually like I'll give you a lifeline, but if someone's falling like so off of a cliff, I will almost always have a dexterity check to like catch yourself slipping. But if you fail that check and you don't have like, and you're like, oh, like I don't feather like, fall or anything, like, I don't have feather fall teleport. I didn't say I'm going to tie a rope and try to throw it somewhere. Like I'll let you try whatever you want to try. I think my favorite. But I'm one. not just going to inherently be like, "Hey, a giant eagle is flying by. You could land on." Like that. That's not always right. use the eagles. Right. We've learned anything from, from the Lord historical the accuracy <laughs> from Lord of the Rings. Yes. yes. <laughs> I feel like to me, I outserve as a DM. You don't want to necessarily just kill them off. I don't want to kill my players. I don't want to see them. Hey, you know, you want to make things challenging. You want to make things interesting. But at the same time, like, I, I. Give them a chance, right? I would say always give them a chance. If they don't make that chance, right? Yeah. Or give them the warning. Are you sure you want to do this? Players, I'm telling you, if you ever hear your play, uh, your DM say, are you sure you want to do this? They are literally telling you. There's a high chance. There's a, this may not work out to your favor. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that's something us DMs, we can sometimes, I don't know, maybe not be as forgiving as we should be towards it. A, a chance, yes, but at the same time, make make the call they took this chance they knew the risks and this is what it's got to be so don't be ever afraid to kill them off in that scenario you never want to just go it's got to be combat based it's got to be combat based no give them the poison bottle let them take a sip out of the poison bottle let them fail their poison checks on it or whatever it may be at the time but again it kind of it depends on your idea towards it right so yep yeah but yeah i think that that's like a good a good place for us to kind of end that discussion just kind of uh addressing that one particular thing so i want to thank uh major holy blood thank you for sending that question in because i do think it's an important caveat because there is obviously times that there's character death outside of combat however getting on to a little bit more of a different topic we're going to talk about party roles what do you mean the cleric should always lead the front of the pack so not I, the cleric the wizard the wizard or the sorcerer Always a wizard. Always, Always a wizard or the sorcerer. And so what we're talking about for newer players is that, especially if you've played like a lot of RPG-based video games, there's usually the idea of like the tank, the damage dealer, the support, the whatever. And a lot of those ideas do carry over into D&D. So one of the kind of, if you're looking at it from a very base perspective, you have your tank frontline character. You have your healer or support character. You have an explorer, an investigator. You have a, a damage user, magic user, like usually called a glass cannon. 
and you have a face, someone who usually does the NPC interaction. However, as we were kind of looking up and getting prepared for today's episode, I actually came across a Reddit post from RD&D Next, and someone brought, uh, brought up the 4E breakdown. And this is one of the few things I know I, I'm a big hater of 4E in a lot of ways. I actually do like... Not that good. I actually do like this breakdown. So they have a combat breakdown, and the combat breakdown that we're going to discuss first is broken into tanks, which are melee combatants with high AC or and or high HP. They're trying to draw in, um, you know, damage. So these are like your barbarians, your fighters, your paladins, uh, clerics that might be wearing heavy armor, moon druids. Like those would be your typical sorts of tanks. Yeah. Um, strikers are going to be somebody who are your hit and runs. Like they're going to be your rogue, your monk, your archer fighter, your ranger, probably your warlock too. Maybe not your hexblade warlock, but again, just generally we're talking here. Uh, controllers are going to be your bards, your druids, your your wizards, um, and even some sorcerer subclasses could do really well. They're, they're the ones that are kind of making the enemy slow down. They're applying conditions. They're changing the battlefield. They're teleporting you around. They are finding ways to help you in combat. Yeah, I feel like there's social settings versus combat settings, especially when it comes to like roles within uh, D&D, like uh, when it comes to are your party dynamics, right? Mm -hmm. It can also vary, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like in, the, in that same aspect on the social side of things, you know, you have the combat based ones, but the social side of things, it can be very, you know, you look at it statistically, if you just base this off stats, who's probably going to be the quote unquote face of the party? Right. It's the warlock, right? More than likely, the warlock or any charisma-based character. Your warlock, your sorcerer, your bard. Correct. They're going to be your face. They're going to be right up top there. They're going to be talking. They're going to. I always go warlock because that's the, the one that I just tell plus five. So like it, it's almost always a plus five right. <laughs> within its charisma stat. But those are going to be the guys that are probably going to be the face. They're the ones who are going to be doing a lot of the talking and breaking down of things. But I know, I always find those type of scenarios to be interesting when it's not necessarily. The more charisma you have, the more you should be the face. But the less charisma you have, yeah, you and you and you have to be the face because yeah. there's no other way. And that's why those like, scenarios are fun. That's why I like the breakdown because in the last one for their combat breakdown was leader, which is somebody who like buffs their teammates, which would be a bard or a paladin, or oh, yeah. a cleric, something like that. Oh yeah. But out of combat, they have what you were talking about, which is the face. That's the person. That's your, you know your slick, you know, attorney character. They're trying, they're using silver-tongued words to get you out of trouble or get you into a place or sneak, you know, something like that. But then you also have your, like, problem solver, which is somebody who, you know, might have a higher, uh, you know, a higher intelligence score is somebody that might, could be the face in certain situations when you're dealing with a more, um, like, planning-based situation. So, like, an example that I might use from Critical Role uh, campaign one. So spoilers for campaign one Critical Role. Uh, but at some point in time, they're having a meeting with a high council of a city to deal with a problem. So I'm going to keep it very vague. Um, but instead of Scanlan, who is typically the face because he's the, the charisma, it's actually Percy doing most of the upfront talking because he's the intellect. He's the Correct. smart, he's the planner, he's the that. So the face can be both charisma, but also intelligence, also manners, also refinement. There are lots of ways to be the face. So oh, an example from one of my current campaigns is I have a character who's playing kind of a Black Widow-like character where she's like, basically married her way up in social status but killed the husbands along the way to like keep moving up the social ladder and now there's this whole political intrigue campaign that going back to her hometown because like they're like ooh, we're let's start taking a look at her back history yeah at, well and then the she, husband died two weeks out, after <laughs> she found out she got pardoned from it and so now there's this whole like political intrigue with it but she's obviously going to be operating as the more of the face right yeah. now rather than the warlock with the, the plus five or the sorcerer with the plus five because it's in Alcathir, which I'm sure Nation of Arn, very much like a lawless land. So there, it's going to require a lot of cunning, a lot of intelligence, a lot of you know this, that, and the other, a lot of backstabbing things that this character is designed to do. Like the designed, to, so they might be the face, whereas the charisma based characters who are probably the face eighty percent of the time are not going to be. Yeah, I. 
I always love it. Like a good friend of mine would always uh, tell us like, oh, uh, oh, that's a very unique check. Let's give you a uh, an intelligence check, but use your strength modifier. It's it's ideas of using your current stats. And again, I know I keep coming back to the stats of it, but I just find it interesting when you do have that different. The one who is not strong in this aspect is the one who is leading that pack. Again, like you mentioned, intelligence. What a great scenario to have that under, right? An intelligence-based character having to do the speaking right? You're addressing a council, right? You're addressing members of a parliamentary system right, exactly. and, and he's, they go out there and they break it down like, I demand that justice is served and things and so like along those lines. Like they would be considered the problem solver in this post. Then the two other, not the social ones would be like your sneak. So rogue monk, druid, ranger, you're trying, you're infiltrating, you're getting information. Like you're, you're going to have high stealth or ways to get in and out of places. Very good. Um, and like the muscle, you know, sometimes you just need to get through a door. Barbarian fighters, they're going to get you through a door. They might also be the reason to intimidate someone because, you know, I, I know we've talked about it before. I usually do give a buff to my, you know, big martial classes, especially if they're like intimidating some, you know, base half a CR guard and they're a level seven barbarian. Like they just watched him tear someone's arm off. Like yep. obviously they're going to be scared of him. So I might let him do an athletics intimidation check, but we're not really discussing that today. What we're discussing is like kind of the breakdown of these roles. And so these roles are not to force your character to act a certain way. They're just general guidelines into helping you make an overall party comp. So what I want to kind of point to on that before we kind of get back into pros and cons of using this is I actually found a site that did breakdowns of party dynamics based on D&D &D Beyond. So, and it changes obviously with the higher the party. So the highest combination for a party of three on D&D &D Beyond was a cleric fighter ranger combo. So you're like, okay, well, how does that fit into the sort of the combat, right? Well, we have a tank, the fighter more than likely is going to be you're up in the mix going to be fighting you have your your controller your cleric like your cleric can be both a controller and a leader at the same time but they can kind of do both they can buff you they can also adapt the battlefield with things like spirit guardian spiritual web like they can do a lot of things to influence that and then you have your your ranger which is your sniper hit and run character that's your striker right yeah there. that and so you see how those three all fall into a combat role, but then they all could also fall into, all right, well, the place they might struggle with is a charisma-based face because you're going to have a cleric who will probably have a decent wisdom score. Yeah, never so usually like plus two, plus three-ish. A decent wisdom score, yeah. but they're not classes that invest in charisma. So they might be lacking in a face, but for as far as problem solving, great. As far as sneaking, great. And as far as the muscle, those social more non-combat classes, they have all of those things. And what's funny is that as you start to look at the party dynamics and party gets bigger, so party of four, you, the ranger is no longer there as the most picked class. It's actually clerics, fighter, rogue, sorcerer is a party of four combination. Oh, wow. And then really? as you get huh. to a party of five, you still don't see a ranger. It's actually barbarian, cleric, paladin, rogue, warlock is the highest for a party of five. And for a party of six, guess what? You still don't see the ranger. You see a barbarian, cleric, druid, fighter, rogue, sorcerer. And then finally, by the time you get to a party of eight is actually the time you see them picked in the highest percentage of party compositions. Really? Yeah. So it looks like everyone. So like. So in a party of three, it's there, but not. Right. But nothing between anything over that until. Mm -hmm. uh, the party of eight. Yeah. And I was trying to figure out while I was preparing for this episode, what in my, like, you know, I'm trying to, because I obviously don't think Ranger is a weak class. I think it's a fairly strong. Oh my class. God. We did our entire special episode for on the Gloomstalker. It right. Was, and it's, it was, it's a yeah. very strong, and even if you're only taking it for a couple of levels, it's still, you get a lot for a little and it, it's like rogue, you mm -hmm. get a, you know, or warlock a lot for like a one, two level dip. You get a lot in those things, but what I was looking at is, and I wanted to draw attention to, is the party of four and the party of five. So in the party of four, you have a cleric, fighter, rogue, sorcerer, right? Well, each of those takes up the full role of what the ranger would do. So 
if you're playing your horde breaker more melee based ranger well the fighter is going to outpace you there. well okay i'm going to be the striker the hit and run sneak character the rogue's going to outpace you there it's like okay well i'm going to be the controller i'm going to use some of my support spells like you know a hail of thorns and you know th those more like widespread control it well it's like well the clerics kind of got you beat there people are using ones that work out best a little bit yeah because what i here's so the best range I, here's the best melee here's yeah. the best yeah and what i found is that ranger is kind of ranger and monk because you also notice i didn't mention monk either so right. monk, yeah monk does not show up in the most pick party class at all in at in, from part from a party size of three to eight it's not in the top two even the top two mixes it's not included and I think that's because people see it as a, a characters that do a, two things at a B plus level, but nothing at an A. It's a tier, it's a tier based system. Yeah, and, I, I I really like. It. I'm looking up some other stuff right now as, as you're talking about it. I'm just it, it's breaking down like strength versus weaknesses per class. Mm -hmm. it, it is very interesting. Where did you say the bard falls within that dynamic? Within four or five? Uh, the bard it actually doesn't show up until a party of seven. Party of seven for a bard, yeah, really? Party of seven for a bard. Because it's like, like I'm looking up, like it, it's a debatable topic, but mm -hmm. I think bard is what their only weakness would maybe be their strength. But yeah. at that same time, they're such a versatile character. Mm -hmm. Ranged, they take care and of. The face of the party, party they, they take, take care, care of. Control. Control. And, uh, and melee if they wanted yeah, to, right? Bard, yeah. yeah. And I think that this is a great thing to point out with role, party role is that the most important thing about party role is not these categories that we're telling you. These are just general things to help you. A good party should have somebody who could do at least some of these things. So some of it should be covered by a character. But with bards particularly, I think, and rangers and monks, I think what people go against for them in like the smaller party sizes is that they can do so much that they see it as like them not being a specialized character. Uh, it's it's a, yeah. It's like they almost have two. Yeah, no. It's like your ranger can fill a couple of roles. Your monk can be both an infiltrator and with unarmored defense, if you roll some good stats, like you can have a 17, 18 AC level one. Your paladin, so, yeah. your paladin can be your face, your melee combat, and, and controller. And your control, they could be that little bit of a healer, yeah. which is what's terrifying with a paladin. If you yeah. have a, like a paladin and the rest of your party's wizards, I think you're going to be okay, to be honest. And so <laughs> I, I, what I want to, the reason I wanted to talk about those is like, those are general categories to help you form a balanced party. I think a good party will have somebody who can take the lead in each of those categories, but you don't necessarily have to fit into those categories. And one thing, so I know season two, we're big on the, pointing people into season two of the dungeons and brews we're big on to pointing Sorry. people no you're it's perfect <laughs> um we're big on to pointing people to useful material and on in youtube there is the dungeon dudes they are um kind of a youtube channel that does a ton of DD content they actually have a party roles um episode Theirs are a little bit different. They do have face. They do have tank. They have blaster, though. Investigators, another one. Scout. So it, it kind of morphs a little bit, but the idea is generally the same. You're going to have somebody who's your more Sherlock Holmesian character. You're going to have someone who's your more sneak thief, pick locks sort of character. You're going to have someone who is high charisma and might be able to, you know, trick a few people out of out of some coin or some information with their words. Like there are different types of characters. And it's just useful to see how your character would fit in with a party. Evolve. Do you feel like that's, and I know we're about to wrap this up, but I'm curious, like, do you feel like that's because like D&D &D has changed through the years and, and not just D&D, &D, but tabletops in general, mm -hmm. there's a more of a fascination with the, you know, Call of Cthulhu, uh, Call of Cthulhu vibes or mm -hmm. the mystery vibes or like Candle Obscura or any of those D where it's no longer just combat, right? Mm -hmm. We don't just focus on combat. We focus on the mystery. We focus on the exploration. I mean, We've got the madness chart just to go bring it back to 5e, right? We have this idea where it's no longer just combat. Mm -hmm. So I feel like like that's where like the artificer came into play, right? I think the artificer is a great example of this. Right. That intelligence guy who's an more... Yeah, an artificer. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. I really do think that D&D &D has, has evolved, especially when you look at some of the 
older modules that they used to put out yeah. as opposed to what it is now. I do think there are a lot more unique social and unique combat situations. And because of that, it get, it kind of is moving away from the traditional, like I have my, my wizard, my you know fighter, my cleric, and then we have our rogue. And That's this it. is our yeah. party and we trudge forth. But, you know, I, I do, I, what I want to kind of like close on with it is that the roles are guidelines. They give you a general idea of what you can do. Now, like it said, the, in the uh, one that I was kind of reviewing, the Reddit post, it was like, hey, a tank is usually a barbarian fighter paladin. Hey, cleric, I made a tank bard with a, a potential for a 31 AC by level four. So, like, you can get stuff crazy if I... you want to do it hate you yeah you're welcome i hate you yeah you're welcome i've said this every time ladies and gents and everyone in between i've said it every time anytime he does this power game bullshit the anger level for me rises <laughs> and i know uh one of our good discord users uh traceless path over yep. there uh, uh we've talked about it a couple times when they hear it and i hear it yep. we both have the same reaction yep Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it's always that. Don't ever say 31 AC at yeah. this table ever again. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, but it, it, I say that not to be, you know, like, oh, look at these, like, how high I can push numbers is that you can make almost any class fill a role. Now, how good they're going to be at that role may not equate because obviously it's harder to make a tankier wizard, but you can't do it. Like, there's so some one of a, another place I'm going to reference. D4, D&D Optimized, is a is a uh, YouTube channel, and he's a big number crunchy guy like me where he likes to push everything to the utmost, like see what you can do. He made a tank abjuration wizard. Do you see my left eye? Do you see my left yeah. eye? It's twitching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want he, you to know. <laughs> he made a tank abjuration wizard, and he ranks all his builds based on like certain metrics, and it's actually one of the tankier builds he's ever built. It's Hang on, it was one? A tank abjuration wizard. Yeah, and it was actually one of the more tanky builds he's ever built. Um, God, something tells me shield is involved, isn't so it? So, <laughs> well, it's like shield, and then there's like, so abjur one of the abjuration spells is like absorb elements. So if you're fighting an elemental thing, it recharges your ward. And oh, and then you could reuse it. Yes, exactly. I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah, so there's some, <laughs> there's some stuff you can do with it to make it very interesting. But these are just ideas. Um, you know, obviously you can build your character any way you want to build them. These are just ideas so that when you come up to, especially something in a pre-written D&D module, they are going to design encounters assuming you have a leader, a controller, a striker, a tank. They're going to draw encounters assuming you probably have these four main sorts of roles. Ideas and uh, to play. Yeah. And play in some capacity. Now, how you fill them and how you operate in them is up to you, but that's just like kind of a heads up on that. But I think we've done a good job. Master Austin, how are you doing today? Are you doing good? Uh, yeah, I'm doing I well. think it's yeah. almost time to start our lovely... I'm just kidding with you. Grab your dice. It's time for a dice battle, my friend. You challenged me last time. Score is tied. We're back up to the plate. I've got my girthy boy. That's right. I've used the word girth again for the second episode in a row. He's really, really going down a girth hole. And I hope I roll a natural one now. Just for that. Ready? Three, two, one. I got a ten. I got... A six. <laughs> Back in the lead. Justice is wrong. Balance has been restored. On that note, let's cue the lovely music right now, future Mo. Thank you, future Mo. Much appreciated because right now it is time for our lovely new game show where we dive into the endless expanse of the D&D community's creativity. And just like a mind player, we find the good, the bad, and the downright flump-worthy homebrew items. That's right, we're talking homebrew again here. Brewmaster Austin, you and I were talking earlier and we decided to start coming up with a kind of a way for us to start breaking down our homebrew ideas. Mm -hmm. Specifically, we are gonna roll for it. I mean, we are a Dungeons and Dragons-based podcast and if we're not using dice enough, we are trying. So <laughs> how about we try it out like what you and I discussed. We are gonna roll uh, idea creations for both uh, a spell, a monster, and yeah. an item. And, and so over, yeah, over the course of the next couple of weeks, we're going to basically shoot, we're going to roll a dice, we're going to determine, and then that episode, we're just going to give you maybe two or three of whatever. So Correct. we're going to roll a d6. We might be doing, you know, spells today. We might be doing items today. We might be doing monsters. And we're going to use both our experience as well as some of the portions of the DMG that give you maybe not the most in-depth dive, but give you a general framework to work from. 
Chapter nine is what we are talking about here, guys. Creating a home, uh, creating a magical item. There, and it is. Spell and monster. I think page two eighty four and two eighty five is specifically what we want to focus on. And like uh, Brewmaster Austin was saying, there, we do want to start breaking down more specifics here. So we'll start listing page numbers of these books. We'll start also recommending other books that do mm -hmm. not necessarily have to be part of the lovely, you know, Wizards of the Coast. Right. <laughs> right? We could focus on some of the more creations again i know you and i you and i talk about it all the time you especially have brought it up a lot in the podcast but cobalt press is a great yeah, is resource a great and so. one that one thing that i want to give a quick shout out on our discord before we hop into it is traces path uh sent over a homebrew that someone had used is called the i know a guy card and so basically at the, at the beginning of a campaign everyone gets one of these cards and for like minor problems minor solutions they can just give this card to the dm and the dm will basically insert someone that they would have known from their backstory to aid them in this. So they're like, oh man, we don't have a place to stay and, we're, and we got robbed. Be like, oh wait, I actually know a guy who lives on the outside of town. They can play that card. DM would basically give them that NPC connection. I love that. It's a problem solving. And I really <laughs> love that. That's a cool homebrew that's not game breaking. It's not gonna like, you know, give them some unfair advantage. But I wanted to just give a shout out to that because I thought it was really cool. I think I'm gonna implement, be implementing that for all of them. That's really cool. I think it's a really cool idea. But, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a D6 so that we can determine what we're going to be creating today. Are we going to be creating a spell at a 1, a 2, a item at a 3, 4, or a monster? At a 5 and 6. Let's see. Survey says a 4. Item. All right. So we do an item. So as Mo mentioned, in the DMG, on page 285, there is some creating a new item uh, things. But Mo also... There is modifying a previously existing and also allowing the pre the uh, wow I cannot speak the players to create an already existing item. Correct. So we we could uh, it starts off pretty strong here, right within the DMG. So I am going to read directly from it here. Uh, the magic items in Chapter Seven in the treasure section are but a few bits of the treasures that a player can discover during their adventures. If your players are seasoned and veterans and you want to surprise them, you can either modify an existing item or come up with something new. Now, modifying items, and like the DMG goes on to later explain here, it's the easiest way to invent a new item. You take, you know, you take a ring of some sort and you, you make it a ring of ram, of ram or a cloak of, of protection, a circlet of protection. You can change little things about the item mm -hmm. to make it all, a necklace that becomes, you know, a circlet or yeah, a flame tongue that deals lightning damage. Correct. Yeah. It does not have to fit the typical standard. Again, I brought it up one time, but a good friend of mine, we created, uh, we took lightning bolt uh, of the spell. And we just changed it over to psychic damage. I called it psychic ball. And then we created one extra effect on top of it. Mm -hmm. So there's lots of opportunities when it comes to modifying an item. Uh, another one that I really enjoyed here is that you can create a new, you can also modify an item by fusing it with properties from another item. For example, combining the effects of the helm of comprehending languages with the helm of telepathy into a single helmet. Makes the item more powerful, probably increases its rarity, but it won't break your game. Right. Instead of having two different items that do uh, different things, mm -hmm. I mean, and as DM standards and mechanical-wise, I would probably just roll some sort of arcana checks or uh, luck checks for the party to say, hey, mm -hmm. there is a guy, but he's way far off. And again, it goes back to some of the uh, previous topics right. we talked and, about. How rare is magic in, in your world? Great. The modifying is one of those things that every I think every DM should do because it, it keeps things both... Um, you know, in your world are alive, but it also keeps things relevant to your players. So like something that I might do in Alamond, right? Every There's an item called the Boots of Elvenkind that helps you with sneaking. Well, I might make, call them like Dwarven Walkers or something because we're in a Dwarven-based campaign. They might, there's not going to be as big of an emphasis on like, oh, we need the Elven creations. Like oh, we would have, like Dwarven Ingenuity would have made a version of this to do it. So like you can, you can reflavor, reskin, things to make it more relevant. And that's always a great way to make your campaign feel alive. Now in the DMG, they do give you a base way to create a new item. I will say it's very, very bare bones, but I'm gonna go through it with you. And then we're gonna create an item using that kind of with how me and Mo create items. So creating, Chaos. A, new, creating a new item, first off, there's, there is a power level to each item. There's common, uncommon, rare very rare and legendary and the, you've maybe heard mo and i mention these a few times but so your common things are gonna be like 
you know, the staff of bird calls that I mentioned in our last episode, that's a common item. Your elf boots of Elvenkind that give you advantage on stealth, that's an uncommon item. A ring of protection is a rare item. Uh, you know, like most plus two weapons are probably very rare. Your legendary is going to be like your wand of Orcus is going to be a legendary. Your, uh, the uh, what's the robe? A robe of the Arch Magi is, is a very, very legendary, legendary yeah. item. Uh, the, the dual maul of Thunderbolts that's basically horse hammer, that's a legendary item. I do what's think what's very cool, especially with breaking the, down the power level of the item as well. Uh, within the DMG there, it also breaks down like the max bonus and kind of the appropriate spell level. For instance, as we mentioned, you know, common, uncommon, rare, very rare, legendary, right? Uncommon items would be about a max level of a third level, right? So let's say the item has the ability to cast the third level spell, right? Like fireball. Sna I, exactly, yep. exactly like fireball. But it also breaks down the max bonus associated with the item. Plus one, plus two, two plus depending two. on where you go. So where you fall on that, it can... What you're trying to avoid here, best folks, is that you're trying to avoid creating something broken, right? And mind you, that is a lot of trial and, and error. error. And heavy on the word and error. error. And it's something that what I want to encourage everybody is if you create an item and you find out it's not strong enough, buff it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason that you can't buff it and have like a dream come to them and be like, you know, uh, like for example, I had I had a, a campaign where I gave someone archery bracers. It was a plus one, and everybody else kind of had these items that did a plus one plus something else. So what I did is I found something from like a 4E guide where you could shoot an arrow to extinguish a fire and then teleport to that extinguished fire. Oh, that's really cool. Which is awesome. That's for awesome. Your rogue ranger. That's awesome. Like, oh my god. So cool, right? Yeah. But then it gives you something. So like that's maybe not broken. But it's something that you're like, oh, wait, they're doing it all the time now. Maybe I need to say proficiency bonus number of times a day or what. You can tweak it. Or attunement is also a very good way to do this. Way. Uh, the the DMG so, also talks about attunement yeah, as for well. For those of you who don't know what attunement is, is that there are um, items in D&D &D that require you to attune. Or basically, it takes up one of three slots for an attuned thing. So these would be things like a belt of dwarven kind is an attuned weapon that or attuned item. Like there are certain armors, items that require attunement and you have to spend basically a short rest attuning an hour yeah, minimum. And, and yeah. to attuning to the item and other than artificers who are the only ones that get more than three attunement slots you can only ever be attuned to three but not all items require attunement so not only that there are some items if you collect their entire kind let's say there's a belt mm -hmm. a shoe and a scarf they all of a sudden count as one item and they'll only take that's one of my right. favorite stuff that they do mm -hmm. within DD. Like it's just like, okay, cool, I have these two items. If I get the one more, yeah. all of a sudden I can open up two of my other attunement yeah, slots. It's like if you had I think one of them is like if you have the belt of dwarven kind, the gauntlets of ogre strength, and then I forget I think it's like the initiative helm. I forget what it's I think called. so. I, yeah. I think if you get all three of those, you it counts as one, which is cool. It's a cool step. And it becomes but, a legendary uh, item as well. So I think for, it's very rare. So for so. us today. What I did prior is I went on one of those random generator sites that I told you about. So I actually pull it up for those of you guys because I don't think while we were doing our world creation, I ever actually told you what uh, sort of a site I use. So there is uh, tetracube.com. You can literally select out of all, pretty much all of the known um, hosted D&D Beyond content. So it has like Acquisitions Incorporated, Guildmaster's Guide to Ravica, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. Volo's Guide to it has everything. So if you want to make it specific, you can, or you can make it expansive. And I rolled a random character, and it gave me a Aarakocra Forge Domain Cleric. So Sounds like a badass. What we're going <laughs> to do to create a, a um, item today is create it for the Forge Domain Cleric. And so what I want to do is I want to create three different items for you very quickly and show you what I would do based on the level that I'm creating for. So I want to create one for maybe like a level six one, a level 10 one, and maybe like a level 17 one. Cause those are going to be your different varying power levels. So at level six, right? You're just gotten third level spells at level five. So you're probably in that, you know, uncommon bordering on rare area. Forge domain clerics are going to be wearing heavy armor. So I'm like, they probably got a mace. 
right? Yep. So I'm going to give them a plus one mace. Well, that's kind of boring, but we already know, okay, plus one mace, maybe I'm going to give them some sort of quality. So when I'm creating something, especially for a particular character, like a particular class, I go pull up their abilities and I look at it. So I look at, okay, here's some of the spells they get. Identify, Searing Smite, Heat, wep heat Metal, Magic Weapon, Elemental Weapon, Wall of Fire. So I'm, you can see there's very fire, very crafty based sort of, uh, sort of thing. So what I might do for that is be like, hmm, so it's already got a plus one. What could I do to it? Be like, okay, maybe it does an extra D6 of fire damage because they're imbuing their own inner soul forge into the weapon. Yeah. Okay, that's kind of cool. But again, you're like, eh, like, is that all that I want to do? So for me, knowing that they are, in my mind, the forge cleric is like a blacksmith that fights almost in my mind. What if the mace does double damage to structures? Yeah. And you're like, oh, great. Like, hey, I need to knock out this support. Boom. Boom. With my with the power that I have from the forge and knowing how to strike like wood, iron, and all that and shape it to my will, I can also destroy it to my will. Correct. And it's like, okay, that's now an uncommon bordering on rare item that's not broken. And because like double damage when you're a mace at like 2d8, Plus, I guess if you count the D6 in there, it's really not all that much damage. But it's for like a wood beam, that'll break. 32 plus damage. Yeah, yeah. it'll break. Yeah, yeah. At, so max, at max rolls of pot yeah. chance. So yeah, so you, you know, that's one way. Okay, cool. That level six made the weapon. And we used what we got from the DMG, the plus one roughly, the third level spell roughly. Because Shatter is one of those spells that does double damage to structures. Correct. It's a second level spell. So you kind of it's fitting in the ability... Right? without being like, hey, you can cast Shatter for free. Like, you're like, okay, like, this is a reduced form of Shatter, but it's cool, it's thematic, and it still makes your character stronger. Yeah, it's really cool when you start looking for items uh, or creating items that specifically will help your players because sometimes they do need the assistance. And yes, uh, Brewmaster Austin and I have talked about there. if there's anything that's oversaturated within the market, it, it is items. Items are everywhere everyone and their mama thinks they, they can make items and they should though it's not like you just shouldn't right just don't try and find one item but i think what's really cool there is that then that player will then become hey wow they went out of their way to craft me an item uh, because of my background or all this stuff so that's again our eric horkara eric horkara yeah uh, forge domain like, cleric can you imagine like flying on the battlements yeah. destroying ballista with this thing like you're it's just so cool it, it's such a great way to modify it so i know i don't want to spend too long going through it but i want to do two more i want to do one for level 10 one for like level 17. so at level 10 you're into the rare for sure bordering on very rare territory so you're like okay it's gonna to need to have a little bit more so something's probably gonna have a plus two if it's a if it's a weapon or armor or something like that and it's gonna be using probably what like fifth level spells according to the dmg six I six level six yeah. level spells so you're you're oh, a rare 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 six with a plus two max bonus yeah very rare is eight yeah so you're so starting you can, to get to the, the you're starting to get into the realm of some really powerful yeah. sort of sort of spells so especially something with the forge cleric is they get resistance to fire damage while wearing heavy armor and also they get this blessing of the forge that allows them to make their armor a plus one better and it gets an extra plus one so you can see it's like it's based on like being a tank so for a very rare uh weapon i might be like okay like what could i do with that well okay well how about shield they're probably going to be if they're all about heavy weapons and heavy armor like they're probably gonna have a shield they want their ac really high well then you're like okay well how do i how do i make this thematic and powerful it's like okay well it's a plus two shield eh, okay well that's there's plus two shields everywhere well now you got resistance to fire damage well how about okay you got resistance to fire damage well how about whenever you take fire damage, it stores it up in the shield and three times a day or three times per long rest, Fireball. you can expend, yeah. you can expend yeah. up to like how many ever dice. So like fireball at this level would do 10 D8. So you could say for each, you know, eight points of fire damage you take up, you can store up a D8 of fire damage. 
D6, right? Or D6, yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah, D6, yeah. So whatever. Yeah, it's in D6. But you Principle of the matter. If we're going to fuck it up, we're going to fuck it up right, right. Yeah, right. You, yeah. You can store that up, and then three times per day, you can release all stored up charges up to a total of 60 fire. I, it, it would be so cool. Like, just imagine it, like, thematically, right? I'm sitting there. Oh, man, I just got struck by fire. I'm a little resistance, but I absorb some of that yeah. damage. And all of a sudden, on the shield itself. It's lighting up. Or glowing. Yeah. And fire's running around the edges. Correct. And then it's almost complete. That means all three charges. And then I'm just imagine I'm running on the field as a forged domain cleric going fireball 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 yeah the room is 20 like, feet i didn't hesitate i said fireball i made that joke before and i will yeah, say it again like, and you can make it so that you're not giving a class that doesn't have fireball like one of the most powers but you'd be like it's centered on you so it would stem out in a circle over let's say like 15 feet around you but you are saved from the damage. You don't take damage from it. So like you can basically just run in and kind of like Vegeta's last stand, but actually survive it. Uh, just for your reference, just so you know this, because I'm still a big gigantic nerd. He does it again in Dragon Ball Super. He does. Yeah. And he survives it. Yeah. So there you go. Now we've made this a Dragon Ball Z podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm Goku. <laughs> but so that would be something I would do. It's like, it's cool, it's thematic. It also encourages your tank to get in there and tank and take that fire damage, use. And so, but now and now here's the caveat of it before I get to the 17th, because I don't want this episode to run too long, is that we, as DMs, if you give a player an item that does something cool like this, do not then never give them an enemy that has does fire damage, because that is so annoying as a yep. player. They'll be like, oh, yep. like, oh, here's this demonic hell entity that uses only ice and lightning. So my cool shield is useless. I'm just saying it's the third layer. It's the third layer of uh, Look, <laughs> the nine health. They focus on yeah, ice damage primarily. Immediately <laughs> have to do it, but if you never give them a chance to use the item, then it's like, okay, well, what the was this item for? You know, why, why did why do I have it? So you do want to give situations. So like one example, real quick. That being said, I will say this. Hang on. I I mean, listen. It's one thing for uh, uh for dms to give them the the item right and the next thing you know like hey we're gonna go to the arctic pole right or we're gonna go somewhere cold i'm not gonna give you a monster then that is going to be a fire damage based monster here unless it serves some sort right, of right. sort of thing i'm just saying dms i got your back on this uh -uh. i'm saying at some point you need to give them a chance to use it yes and, uh, yeah but so the, for the last item real quick level 17 at level 17 you get your last ability for your cleric subclass for them it's saint fort of forge and fire they gain immunity to fire damage and while wearing heavy armor they also have resistance to bludgeoning piercing slashing from non-magical attacks so they essentially get a modified form of a rage of yeah, rage. rage yeah and you're immune to fire damage that's and yeah you're no longer taking you so, can literally step into lava and take zero and damage so here's what i here's what i want to propose for this is is a is a cloak first off and no bonus to like AC or anything like that. So we're straight up just like okay. So no max bonus. No max. No max. No max bonus. Okay. However, but we are doing. We are dealing with legendary item at this yeah, point. Yeah, legendary yes. item. But however, whenever you take fire damage, an ally that you see within sixty feet, you can then give them a your Saint of Forge and Fire for one round. Transferring your abilities over to someone. Oh my! What would? So you time out. If I gave that to the barbarian who is raging, isn't that half of half? Half of half. Uh, but you see, but you see, see like, guys, power gamer, right? He no, can't help himself. But, no, that's a power gaming no, mechanic. But, <laughs> but that's a legendary item. And what I was thinking of it being useful for is if you have a campaign where you know you're going to face like a dragon game, like Tiamat mm -hmm. or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, he takes fire damage and also the wizards in that. But I use my reaction to use my legendary cloak to give the wizard my immunity as well to fire damage. That makes the difference in your wizard surviving that encounter. Because the wizard hit by a late game, like a great adult dragon or even ancient dragon fire blast is dead. Yeah, that's it's it. Dead. They're not surviving. They're so not they're not surviving. It's, yeah. it's protection based without being broken. Because let's be honest, like at that point. Your barbarian is not your highest damage dealer anymore. So them having resistance to resistance, the dragon's just gonna fly away from them. Like it's like, oh, I can be angry on the ground, but if he flies, like there's nothing you can do. Yeah, like he's still on the ground. Or just, so, just anything like that. Like there's so many cool opportunities and things you could do with magical item creations like mm -hmm. that, right? And like again, we've showed you just levels at like level seven. Level, I mean, excuse me, beginning level. 
uh, like to seven to 10 to all the way up to 17. And as the class changes and in the future, we can talk about some other cool ideas with items, right? For instance, sentient items, right? We can talk about their creations and how they're made. We can talk about also what I think is really cool and a great thing that is brought up in a uh, critical roles uh, setting within their Tal'Dorei Reborn and within uh, Explorer's Guide to Wildmount is uh, the idea of uh, items that gain exalted status, right? Mm -hmm. They they level up as the player levels up. Imagine starting off, okay, the, the Buster Sword from my, when I first have it at level one is, turns out it's the key to unlocking my ultimate weapon later on, right? Mm -hmm. With this being said, Brewmaster Austin, I got a question for you. Since we are kind of talking about classes and their creations, what is most likely, what class is most likely to become the big bad evil guy? The BBEG. You see, I've always gone back and forth on this, but mine, the, the one that I think I always default to, it's always the cleric. It's always the cleric. <laughs> really? Yeah, it's always the cleric. It's the wizard. Yeah, I, I see. I it's can the see wizard. The for it. It's I can the see wizard. The for it. Mine's always the cleric. Human. It's like every thing, every book, every fantasy book. How many times does the human wizard specifically human? Yeah, yeah, because their lifespan is shortened, right? It's not the elves, and we live for ancient and years and beyond all time, right? But it, it is that human wizard who goes, "Fuck! I only got maybe good seventy years." Awesome. Maybe 80. I got to get there. Yeah. I got to get there because otherwise I'm going lich. Let's go. Right. It's yep. always the lich. It's always some sort of creation like that. And it's always going to be along those lines of why you think cleric because. Well, I think cleric because one, there's like so many great tropes of like the cleric not being, you know, biased. Well, not, not necessarily being biased, but not being appreciated in his role of the party. Like, uh, you're just the religious heel, you know, servant. Like, blah, blah, and then finally gets enough scolded and is like, all right, like, let me show you how powerful I can be as the bad guy. Oh, look, that orc that you almost killed got healed. Oh, look, the orc now, the orc <laughs> captain now has haste. Oh, like, it's like now it's like, oh, all these things that you were benefiting from, they're benefiting from. And it's like, you start doing out of spite. Yeah. I'm gonna strike down my last weapon. No, I'm gonna give him. I'm gonna give him a, a full heal. Yeah. You're gonna give him 70 HP. Yeah, I'm kind of bored. Yeah, <laughs> kind of bored. Exactly. So, Necromancy says what? <laughs> but I, I think that's a great place for us to to stop off on this episode. I hope it was enlightening for you guys. We're gonna be doing some more creation with the next one. Um, as always, we appreciate the love and support. I hope everybody's having a safe holiday season so far. And until next time, part of the pod, part of the brew. See you soon. <laughs>